Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Dom Proctor. He is the CEO and founder of OutsourcedStaff.com.au. Dom is based in Australia. He has a long history of being in business, and he built Outsourced Staff to scratch his own itch. We talk about his origin story and why he got started and how he found building an outsourcing firm. We also dive pretty deep into automation and AI, which Dom claims is his passion and uh, pastime. So it's a really interesting conversation. Toward the end of the podcast, we really dive deep into the potential for AI and also the common question of whether it's going to destroy outsourcing and employment and humanity as we know it. So really interesting conversation with Dom. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. You are the founder and CEO of Outsource Staff, Dom. You're sitting in Australia and it sounded like you started this business as a result of scratching your own itch, which is not uncommon in the industry. Do you want to give us a little bit of background, your experience in business and how you got into Outsource Staff? Sure thing. Yeah, look, I've been in business since I was a teenager. I started in a family engineering business, so we used to run a third-party maintenance support. So I'm an engineer by trade, fixing laptops, desktops, servers, printers, plotters, anything that was technical, I would be out there fixing it. I started managing a call center for technical support at the age of 20. So I had a a team of 12 in Australia back in those days. This is going back 30 years. I had a team of 12 ladies helping me at the call center itself. And then we had Oh, geez, it was anywhere from 30 to 50 engineers on the road every single day. So 
I understand the customer service side of things. I'm very customer focused. And then after I exited the family business there, I started a software development business, software development and IT support. And that got me into outsourcing basically everywhere. So I had teams in Eastern Europe, I had teams in India, I had teams in Canada, I had a team in the US. So basically all over the world. And then someone got me into the Philippines. And from there, I set up a team of software devs, QAs to support, grew our business, the business that I was in with my brother and brother-in-law. And then through using outsourcing and having our own teams, we became more profitable and that allowed us to sell the business at a higher price. So definitely, you know, worked in the practitioner side of things. So have always had a team in the Philippines and, and still do now. Yeah. So what was that transition then over to outsource staff and why did, you know, people use it as a tool and obviously it's incredible resources, but what was the switch for you to decide actually this is a good business model, this is what I'm going to invest my time into? Look, to be perfectly honest, employing staff in Australia has always been tough. We have, our salaries are very high, the experience can be low and getting good staff that want to stay with you is a challenge. So what we were finding was if we paid a good salary in the Philippines, we would get excellent staff and we would get loyalty, commitment, and we would get people that would stay for years. So that was the, the big thing. And my niche where it started was helping agencies. So helping software dev companies, helping support companies, because that's where I had my teams. So that was my expertise. But it was definitely noticing it's really tough here in Australia to get, to get good staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from a business point of view, though, you started it, you know, was it, what was the reception like? Because a lot of people start outsourcing and they understand it themselves and they've seen the benefit themselves. And they're like, this is a killer idea, killer product, and it's going to fly off the shelves. But then it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to sell the concept. There's a lot of resistance in Australia as well. Like a lot of people are kind of anti-offshore, they're pro-Australia. So how did you go business-wise floating the whole idea and what was that initial trajectory like? Yeah, look, to be honest, I've never had a problem with that. People generally come to me are already down that research path of understanding that outsourcing can help their business. And if they're there, I'm just really facilitating and and educating them. So for me, we haven't had a problem growing teams. So like there's a lot of people get into outsourcing just to save cost and do $2 staff, but we're not like that. We're definitely, I guess, a more niche boutique business where uh, we invest in our clients. So I want to understand clients' business and then I'll go, okay, so are we using automation here or are we using outsourcing or nowadays are we blending automation and AI? So from a business perspective, it's it's never been an issue for me. And you know yourself, like the amount of, of quotes that you're asked to do every month, Australia is very receptive, in my opinion, to outsourcing, especially Philippines. Like we have one of the biggest Filipino communities in Australia, like it's huge. So people are very familiar talking to Filipinos. 
But I do see resistance generally, though, because in, in, in my mind, every job could be offshored. You know what I mean? Certainly any job that's done in front of a computer. And, and yet penetration into businesses generally is quite low. So I, I do think that there is this kind of a laggard effect in that most people still stick to hiring locally. Do you, you don't see that at all, no? Uh, you'll always get some businesses like that, but Australia has a very low unemployment rate. And then add on to that cost of what people are looking for here. It, yeah, if someone's not open to um, having remote staff after COVID, then I, I really think they should have a good look in the mirror, to be honest with you. But it's never been an issue for me, but I have a, a very strict approach to working with people. If it's just price that they're interested in, then we're really not the best person for them. We want to provide an ongoing long-term solution to grow the team, which can then blend with their local team. So as an example, you might have an accounting firm that has two local staff, and then they have four offshore. Or you might have a, a software development team or a digital agency that has their client-facing staff here in Australia. So they've elevated them up to do the more high-value face-to-face work and then we've built them an engine room back in in the Philippines that is much larger and more powerful than they can do here in Australia. So for me, again, mate, it's never been, I've never had a problem with outsourcing in Australia. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, it's, I find still that there is a lot of resistance to the concept and people are still unaware. I mean, when you're in the business, it's easy to be aware. And of course you're informed. And of course, it seems like everyone's outsourcing, but still there are the vast majority of businesses that have not yet offshored and far from considering it. So it's good that you're seeing wide open opportunity. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it because like, as you say, look, I do know a lot of people that don't outsource and there still is that perception that it can't be done better than in Australia. And look, I support that. But if you're a company and you're struggling to get staff and you want to elevate your locals to do the, you know, the more higher value client facing work face to face every day, then outsourcing is it's just perfect. Mm -hmm. And you say you take hands on approach to providing staffing and working with the client's business. How does that play out in real life? And how do you scale that beyond yourself? I assume. You, you are very experienced and storied in business. You understand it. But then how do you kind of scale that beyond you working with a client direct to, to sort of down into the ranks and into the hierarchy and scale that beyond yourself? Sure. So look, I, I guess initially you've got myself and, and Dara, my business partner, who's based in Brisbane. So we want to understand that there's a good fit between us and them. So do we understand the business? Do we know what they're looking to achieve, what their outsourcing goals are? And then we have our own support team. So you've got uh, different programs like Systemology, EOS. Ours is very simple. It's, it's just task transfer. So it's either you as the boss or you as a teammate of that particular company. You need to transfer your task to another person. So the key there is just clearly documented processes and procedures. And unfortunately for me, Darren, my business partner, is just mad for that side of it. So understand the business first, get in there, and then look at, okay, what are the 10 key things that 
this particular role or roles need to um, help with in order to push the needle. So what's going to have the best impact on the business? And then that goes to the team below Darren that helps actually getting it implemented. And they have the one-on-one relationship with the staff. So scaling it, I guess we take the train the trainer approach. So I'm definitely you know, involved in understanding every person or every client's business initially. And if I understand it, then I can educate my team on that. But if I don't understand it, I don't know what problem they're trying to solve. And I love business. I love marketing. I love, I love automation. I love AI. So it's fun for us. You know, to be perfectly frank with you, we're not looking to grow to the size of Accenture. I've had hundreds of staff in the Philippines before and it's great. Um, but we're looking to really help small and medium Australian, New Zealand um, businesses. Got it. Got it. And the price structuring then, if you're diving into businesses, how do you structure the pricing so that it's balanced between cost effective, but also value add? So for us, we're very transparent. So we have the staff salaries and then we have our service fee on top and we give the client a fixed monthly. So we, you know, we, I always set a budget and I say, look, say for a bookkeeper, it will be between X and Y for a soft software developer to reading between X and Y. And then that allows me to show a variety of candidates because a lot of the time you may employ based on attitude versus technical ability because attitude can't be taught, but technical skills can be. So you might get someone at the lower end and someone at the higher end and someone in the middle and you go, look, the guy at the lower end, he was just awesome. He had the best attitude. He really wanted the job. He was willing to work and we know technically we can get him there. So choose that person. From our, I guess, from our business services or task transfer point of view, for Darren and myself, that is just a value add that we offer to our clients. We extend 30 to 60 days for every client to assist with implementation. Then after that, if they would like to engage us as consulting, we just charge a consulting fee to do that ongoing. Got it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good blend, isn't it? But it, it can really take a lot of time to dive into people's businesses and how do you sort of manage that gray area where is the failure or the success of a process or a business function is that then due to the staff is it due to your implementation is it due to the process or is it due to the clients and and its business or even the product is is faulty is it sort of there can be a lot of gray area within that sort of space. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think it's, for us, it's definitely about having the right alignment between us and the business. Is there a good fit between me and the management or or myself and, and the owners of that business? Do they definitely want outsourcing to be a success? And if you've got that right fit and you, you're playing it more as though you're a team, then it makes it so much easier. As an example, I, I recently started working with a, a civil engineering company in New Zealand, and they're they're a reasonably sized business. They are doing well, but the the owners are just so hands on in the business. I've just said, well, we need to identify what it is we need to take off you, give to your executive assistant and your bookkeeper, so that you guys can do what you're really good at, which is running the business. And they just bought in, and as soon as they buy in, we know, cool, we're a good fit. So for us, it's definitely having the right fit between 
us as a provider and, and then the client that we're servicing. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, isn't it? And how do you manage, I suppose, a client being skeptical about conflicts of interest? Because if you say, look, you've got a, you know, all of these sound management fundamentals, you've got to delegate, you've got to build teams, you've got to build hierarchies, you've got to build processes. How, how does it not sound like you're then just talking your own book and saying, look, it'd be great if you hire 10 to 20 staff here and hire me for advisory. You, you always get sort of a tension between clients saying, yes, I want to trust you. Yes, I want to be guided by you, but you're also selling to me. You know what I mean? And it's very difficult to have then that, look, I completely follow you and do whatever you want kind of arrangement. How, how do you yeah. manage that tension? Look, I definitely believe in paying it forward. So helping people without asking for any financial gain. So that might be in advice or in, in a process or in a tool that they should look at doing, but you definitely, you need and you want to become that trusted advisor, someone that when they give you a call, you answer and they say, I'm thinking of doing this. And you'll say, I reckon you should keep that one local or yes, we could split that role, do half remotely in the Philippines and then the other half your general manager here could do. But you know, honesty is the best approach and also just looking, is this role a good fit for remote? And I genuinely believe 99% of roles can be done remotely. If COVID taught us anything, that was one of the things. Yeah, definitely pay it forward. So help your clients, build the trust, become that person that they call when they have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so you spend a lot of time on automation. You, in your LinkedIn, you put very clearly AI mad and <laughs> a love for automation and AI. So let's dive into that. It's a fascinating area, isn't it? And I think I was actually quite late to the party when I learned about robotic process automation, RPA. And actually that's pretty powerful stuff. But then I've heard good and bad things about it because it can always break down and you've always got to update it. And it actually takes a lot of maintaining to do. But, you know, now of course there's AI, there's the LLMs, but there's potentially also the AI agents that can kind of do this RPA more intelligently and intuitively. So can you, I suppose, give us an intro into what you think automation and AI promises and then maybe how are you seeing it being implemented in real kind of day-to-day -day activities? Sure. So whenever I talk with a, a new client or an existing client, what we do is we look at, okay, yes, we've got a, a cost-effective resource in the Philippines, but can we still automate that process? So can we use a tool that can transfer the data versus a human transferring that data? Can we use AI now, say with vision enabled to transcribe an image, which might've been from a, a CEO scribbling down his notes for the day and getting that into monday.com. So what can we do that uses automation, AI, and then our outsourced resources and combining those together, that's where you get those cost savings. So like, as an example, you've got the, the emails coming into your AI powered support system. So Zendesk or, or whatever it is that you're using reply, and it, it's already drafted that response for you. The key there is that someone's actually reading that before it's going out. So that's where we look at AI optimization. 
to AI optimized by a human. So, yeah. you know, you, you could pump out, like you mentioned earlier, you've got 400 articles a month being written. You could just pump them all out and not even proofread them a human and you'll probably still get a good benefit from Google. Or you can read them, make sure that you're following a predefined AI framework or AI optimization framework that can then ensure that the quality of that work you're putting out is still what it really should be. It's of a, it's of a super high level. So that AI optimization is something that, especially when you're talking about creativity and copywriting and SEO, copywriting, social media, you, you've got to find the really good guys and girls who have embraced AI, but still have that creativity, still have that proofreading, still have that quality check before it gets public, published and launched. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're going to end up with an internet that is just ChatGPT. And yeah, you start seeing top-notch and all these words appearing everywhere. And that, that's so, the risk, isn't it? Because I, I think that the, the good people that really understand how to drive AI with prompts and restructuring yes. and reprompting and feeding it back and sort of... Uh, in order to do that, you need to understand the structure. You really need to understand the sort of philosophy, the approach of the article, the, the angle of the article. And those people would actually be pretty freaking good at writing the article themselves. The, it becomes less effective when you have someone that doesn't know how to write an article and cannot fathom how to prompt an AI. And they just I say, totally write agree. an article on cats and dogs, and then yep. they publish whatever comes out. And so it's almost a there's a sort of self-selection bias in that the people that don't necessarily need AI are the only ones that can use AI, yeah? because it still, it still takes a lot of driving, doesn't it? Yeah, so look, I definitely agree with what you've said there. So as an example, we've got another niche business called AIO Writers. And what we do there is we take trained SEO copywriters. So they've been writing for SEO for the last five, 10 years. And then we teach them how to use AI properly. So exactly what you said, mate, you put rubbish in, you get rubbish out. If you have a structure and you can feed and, and chain prompt AI and give it what it actually needs to produce good content, then you're going to get so much, so much better results. Then once you've got those results, the human element comes in. So I have seen a lot of people taking untrained writers, throwing them at GPT and saying, write this content. You're like, oh, cool. Yeah, well, look, it's good, but I can tell GPT wrote it versus a trained copywriter using GPT for their ideation, for their menu creation, and then filling in the blanks along the way themselves, understanding the context, understanding the tone of voice, understanding exactly who that client's buyer, the, the buyer personas that they're appealing to. Because yeah, you can get so much, but you've, it's what you put into it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, you know, and we've been trying to, only part-time, trying to train an AI to assist with inquiries on our website. We get a lot of inquiries. Yeah. We want to build the AI to prompt them to book a calendar meeting. And it, it's actually really, really hard. Like it's, It takes a lot of programming to build the parameters of what they're going to act within. And also, of course, the AI can talk sort of English conversationally, but you don't want it yeah. bringing up Jesus and ice cream and lambs <laughs> and stuff like that. You want it to talk just about your business. 
And then you want to give it the mission of the objective of this conversation is to try and point them towards booking a call and assisting them with the calendar. And that stuff is still pretty hard, isn't it? In that getting you know, they they can chat away, but they can't necessarily functionally do much yet, yet. But of course it's coming, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely coming with the autonomous agents and and multi-step. So grabbing that initial inquiry, working out, is it a warm, cold or deadly? Then going, okay, now what did they actually ask? And then even like we've been talking about, drafting the response that then goes to your BDM that then checks it and sends it. So, but I can see, I can see down the track that people are just going to let the AI loose and then you're going to get responses that just aren't meaningful because all different LLMs have their own hallucinations All different LLMs have a way of saying things. And if you can combine AI with human, I just feel you get much better response. So looking at how you, you take, say, a virtual assistant to become an AI assistant is much more beneficial than just saying, okay, let AI do everything. Get your VA, we'll train them, we'll make sure that they know how to use, you know, it could be GPT, it could be Midjourney, it could be Jasper, it could be Relevance, it could be one of the many tools that are out there. But you've still got to know how to drive that tool properly to get good results. Yeah. And I, I think that's still hard, isn't it? You can't take, you know, f- for your sort of frame, you can't just take any average VA and then have them become hyper-efficient using all of these AI tools. Because the average VA, they're kind of, they, they don't, they're not in that, fr- that mindset. And you kind of need a very sort of high-performance, excellent EA, uh, VA to be able to sort of understand all these tools and bring them together. And so... It's kind of, I think maybe the may, making the top ranks even better, whereas I think the average wouldn't kind of be able to harness the tools so well, and so they don't. Would you kind of see that the same, or do you think it can kind of elevate the bottom or the average up to the top? Look, not without good training. So you can throw someone and say, go learn AI on YouTube and you know, see you later. You're gone for two weeks. Or if you put them through some type of prompt training or even mid-journey training, you, you'll they have to be reasonably computer literate, yes. But once you've given them this superhuman power, what they can produce is, it is you know, 5x better than what they were doing on their own. But you've got to find the right person, persons with the right attitude and willingness to embrace AI. The ones that are just like, no, nah, AI will never take my job or AI is, is not a good thing, then without being rude, I steer clear from them. So we, we ran a, a campaign back in July, which was for copywriters. And the, the whole essence to the campaign campaign was you have to be 110% on board with using AI to produce copy. And if you can show us articles that you've written that was a blend between you and AI, then please apply. If not, then maybe go and learn AI and come back. And the responses were great, Mm. you know, because there's a lot of that, isn't it? Because, I mean, they can just pull articles off the internet as well. It's it's difficult to test these things. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got local copywriters here in Australia that are proofing everything and then interviewing them as well. So you can pretty quickly weed out the 
candidates that you know aren't suitable for yourself. And have you seen any sort of deeper automation in terms of RPA or uh, agents and things like that? Um, what I realized only the other day that there was an assumption that LLMs could become agents and actually carry out things on the internet because an LLM can actually explain what to do. For example, go and log into Salesforce because they've yep. seen it in FAQ. So they could seem to be very perceptive and know exactly what to do. But if it gave direct or for booking flights and go to booking.com, buy the best flights and then find a hotel, select dates you want. But actually, it doesn't know the concept of what Booking.com is. It's only aggregating words representing Booking.com. And it, it wouldn't know what a buy button is, and it wouldn't know where to put the dates. It, so it's still quite a long way away, I think, actually, isn't it? I think we were all oversold this, the potential of agents. Oh, look, mate, I'm AI mad, so I'll disagree with that. I, I, they're, they're getting there. What, what, where I think... What so autonomous agents, which are AI agents that can produce, go and research something, then come back and do a next step, then come back, log in, then grab your credit card and do that actual payment. Mm. They are definitely very close. I personally haven't been able to find a really amazing, I guess, solid application that I don't need to be a coder to make it work properly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's my, like, I'm not a coder. I'm very technical and I love technology, but I, I can't cut a line of code to save my life. So I'm still looking for the right third party tool that's built an AI agent engine on top of GPT or any other LLM, but they're not far off, mate. I'm, yeah, you know, like, say you look at you know, Zapier and you look at Zendesk and you look at Reply.io, you know, the, the, free, you know, just getting your drafts done, getting the recommended next steps or actions in that support in the knowledge base, it's just getting better and better and better. Mm. But someone... Yeah, but I do think it's different to actually doing the actions. I think that a LLM could exactly tell you every single action to take, but it can't actually take them itself unless it's hardwired and hard-coded in to the back end. Yeah, it, and a 10-step process and then bang, go do it a thousand times, which is like up here. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't know what a buy button is. It can talk about a buy button because, you know, it aggregates every article on the internet that talks about buy buttons, but it fundamentally does not know what a buy button is. Similar to, it, it wouldn't know what an apple is. It, it, it can talk about an apple, but it can't, doesn't know an apple. So it's, yeah, it's interesting, but you know, obviously there's a lot of people working on, there's a guy in India that's Sequoia funded, that's working on agents and he's partially, he's taken the RPA model and partially improving it, but it's only sort of baby steps in that regard, but it's, yeah, it's definitely all happening at light speed. Yeah. Yeah. No, love, love agents. And for me, it's the future. Like I've got three daughters and. They used to be interested in becoming a doctor and a lawyer. I'm like, just to get it, just get into ML, get into machine learning, get into AI, because or something creative. Because that, if it can be read in a book and understood, it will be replaced. Someone still has to drive it, so become that prompt engineer or that AI engineer. Like I've got one of my 
best staff, Carlos, is he's an AI engineer and he understands AI, he understands automation, and he just makes things just more efficient. And using a combination of Zapier, make, and then his understanding of okay, I need to grab this code from an email as it comes through. So I ask, I ask ChatGPT to write me some code to grab that data and then pass it and spit it out into Salesforce. Um, so those AI engineers or the people that know how to use AI properly, I definitely see a massive, massive value in, in those staff moving forward. And you're fundamentally selling staff. You're selling man hours. Let's say you have a hundred staff. If you can make them 50% more efficient or whatever the maths is, a hundred percent more efficient, you, you're only going to have 50 staff left. How, how do you think it impacts your business model? Now, I know, of course, you're going to say, look, you're, you're client driven. You want to do what's best for the client, but fundamentally, does it undermine your business? And then do you need a different pricing model or strategy? Because if you're going to do the work of uh, 10 people, but you're only charging for one person, do you only charge for one? Or do you make a new pricing policy where you're billing for 10 people and only paying one? How do you see that play out in the near to medium future? Yeah, look, it's definitely a tricky one. I always, you know, if there is a reduction in time and a reduction in cost, then for me, ethically, I need, I will always tell our client, so we can do this better and we can do this faster if we use this automation or if we use AI. And then I guess it's like your local staff. Well, okay, but this person that we've trained, they understand our business. They know what they're doing. So let's just elevate them, getting them to do other processes or other tasks within the business that we haven't yet automated or AI can't um, understand or that need human emotion. I have seen, you know, recently in our, in our group chat as well, people talking about that uh, managed service model. So it's performance-based. Okay, so we need X amount of, of leads or we need, you know, X done by the first five days. So it, I, I don't know, I don't know where it's going to get to. You know, a lot of roles I can see, say, for example, the SEO copywriters, the traditional is gone. If you don't get on board with using AI tools, then you will definitely be left behind. And the way that I promote our business to our clients is we first look, we look at every role right now and we go, okay, can we automate it? Can we use AI or should we outsource it? So we're definitely combining them together. And that still does come back to a fixed monthly cost. Hmm. But it's, it will undermine, you know, if, if it really sort of automates everything, then it undermines. And is it like we're in, you know, collectively, are we in the internet cafe business where they're eventually going to go out of business or some beds, you know, will it become out of vogue? If you need a lot of staff. Like, do you see it going in that direction or do you see that there will just be more and more jobs to, to work on? Nah, there'll always be more and more jobs. It's just about upskilling. So as an example, we're taking the, the SEO copywriters and making them AIO copywriters. So again, I'm not looking to have 20,000 staff. So we know if we can train people on how to use AI properly, on how to use automation properly, then they are not out of a job. They are the ones that will get elevated. And that if they, if um, my 
Carlos and his team, they know AI much better than me. So why would I replace them? I've employed them so they can stay ahead of the curve. They can work out, okay, what is actually happening in AI? Um, like as an example, learning mid-journey and learning to tune it properly to produce really good images, there's a skill to that. They had to learn how to do it. And that's where I think new jobs are going to be created. Yes, mm. yes, definitely other roles will disappear. That first level reply to a, a warranty inquiry for your fridge, that may not need to be done by a human anymore because AI will be able to read the information and then respond. But that's, you know, it's world has been through this type of change before. And from my understanding and the research I've done, new roles are always created. Yeah. 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 No, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's, oh, it's crazy. It, it is I love to it, some though. degree, a bit of a turning point and it will be interesting to see where it goes. And you are right with mid journey and all of these tools, they're just like, they're just tools and people need to master them just like Adobe Photoshop, like Excel, like Monday.com. It's all about kind of driving these tools, isn't it? And becoming efficient and good at them. It's yeah, yeah. fascinating, fascinating future. Optimizing, optimizing the use so that when someone's looking at what's created, they go, that's actually really good. Hey, I don't really care where it came from. If it was AI, if it was a blend, it actually reads well and it adds value to what problem that I'm trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone has any issues where it comes from as long as it solves yeah. their problem. But I suppose, again, you know, the ultimate problem is if AI gets to a point where it can create content good enough without the human, then you don't need articles pre-written. You know what I mean? Like you, you just go to OpenAI and you say, tell me about cats and dogs and it will write the best article ever. So you don't actually need a million websites out there with tens of millions of articles on cats and dogs because AI can then just sort of generate specific answers to it. So it again, it, very established models are, are heavily undermined by all of this change. It's pretty freaky. Yeah? And I think we're seeing yeah, like that already in you know, it sounds like you're deep into content. We're also deep into content and SEO and website ranking and stuff like that. But it, it's been shown very clearly that visitors to websites are dropping dramatically because they're going to places yeah. like Instagram instead. They're going to open AI and people aren't necessarily searching the, searching the internet for websites to give them the answers so much. So it's Again, do we actually need to write articles anymore? It's it's fascinating. Yep. Yeah, well, generative AI and Google's generative AI search is going to be a game changer because it's basically saying, I won't list you the 10 websites that you need to go and look at. I'll just tell you what's best from those 10 websites, summarize it and give it to you in one go. But, you know, Google's a machine. They're still going to want to make their money from their ads and the, the previews that I've seen with the generative AI, they will still acknowledge who's written that initial piece of content because they need to sell, they need to sell ads. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's changing, changing all the time. And look, I, we look at it as though it's that whole hockey curve. We started and it's going to go crazy for, for another five, 10 years. So you, you really need to get on board or don't. And we ride on board and we ride on board with having 
our staff, our managers and senior level myself, Darren, the team, the hundred percent AI and automated, that's our focus. Yeah. Use that well, it's an exciting future. It. Yeah. It's good. Tom, it's good fun. Like, yeah. Me up. Yeah, no, it is, isn't it? It's, it is, it's fascinating. And unfortunately things never stay static. They're always changing and, and you've really got to be on top of things, but, but that's the opportunity as well. But sometimes I wish things just stayed the same for a little while so we could all take a break, but uh, it's a fascinating future. Dom, thank yep. you so much. Really interesting, you, insightful conversation. As always, I encourage people to reach out and uh, learn more. How can they get in touch? Oh, okay. So definitely just reach out on LinkedIn. If you just search Dom Proctor or email me, dom at outsourcestaff.com.au or just look us up, Outsource Staff. You'll find us. We're number one on Google. That was Dom Proctor. He is the CEO and founder of Outsource Staff. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.